0: Pray with me. Father in heaven, have your way with us this morning. Teach us what kingship is all about. Teach us about your kingdom. Let us hear directly from you. In the name of Christ, do we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We're going to have a good Thanksgiving. Relatively speaking, you still having leftovers? Yes. We're still chipping away at ours too, so I <laughs> understand. We're down to turkey soup, so towards the end. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 93 this morning, okay? So we know uh, Jesus through his various titles in Scripture, the Son of God, the Great Physician, the Savior, the Messiah, the Great High Priest, the Second Adam, the Suffering Servant. You hear a lot of these during our worship service. Uh, but today we celebrate God as King. Today's Christ the King Sunday. That's why the liturgical color's a little different. If you're paying attention, it's white. We celebrate the reign of God, the one true, good, and just King. That's what Christ the King Sunday is all about. In Philippians 2 and Romans 14, there's that phrase, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You've heard that one before. That's a picture of God as King, of Him as the sovereign over all creation and over the human heart but a king of a very different sort of kingdom that is not of this world. Think about the conversation we just heard between Pilate and Jesus uh, in our gospel reading about whether or not he's the king of the Jews and all this. There's a picture of two kingdoms going on there, isn't there? There's the kingdom that is seen, the one that's earthly and temporal and forever shifting and changing, and there's the one that is unseen, which is heavenly and eternal and ever enduring. Now, if Pilate could have seen the heavenly kingdom, if he saw that vivid and glorious account that we heard about in Daniel and Revelation, uh, I suspect his conversation with Jesus would have looked a slight bit different than it did. Uh, yeah. Uh, what different kingdoms with such different kings and different values? So we're going to lean into appearance and reality as we have been these last few weeks, okay? What is unseen to human eyes, what is reality? And what is mightier and more powerful than what is seen, than just appearance, okay? Okay. So Psalm 93, and if you want to follow through, we've only got a whopping five verses, so this may resemble more of a homily than a full-on 45-minute sermon. Ha-ha. Yeah, I won't put you through that. Don't worry. So Psalm 93 is part of a group of Psalms, uh, 93 through 100, in Book 4. Most of the Psalms are written in praise of the great king, in praise of the Lord. So most of these particular psalms in Book 4, 93 through 100, are royal psalms. They're kingship psalms, proclaiming God's ongoing rule. Now, uh, we're dealing with poetry here, so the language is very dense. It's very compact, so our reading strategy here, I want to give you some tips here to kind of help unpack it. Some things to listen for. Three things to listen for. One is just listen for really active language. Listen for the proactive nature of God's character here. Listen for action words. They should stick out. So that's one thing. Two, uh, listen for repetition, okay? Listen for repetition. Uh, the doubling, the tripling of words and phrases, the way one phrase will build upon another and cascade sort of to the next. There's a purposeful poetical force here, gathering steam and creating tension and urgency. So the second thing is repetition. Listen for that. Third thing, imagery. Be attentive to the imagery and be aware that some of the imagery here is a little foreign to us. It's culturally specific to that day and that age and that setting. So I'll I'll unpack that a little more later. So imagery, okay? So active language, repetition, and imagery. Okay. Let me read verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved, okay? The Lord reigns. It begins with a declaration of fact and strong belief. So the psalmist isn't writing like a personal observation here, putting forth an opinion like, you know what? I kind of think God is king. I kind of think the Lord reigns. You know, I sort of believe this. It isn't this. This is so decisive. You have to hear someone stating, it's almost like someone talking about how gravity exists, okay? The Lord reigns. And you really could render that with a big Exclamation point at the end. The Lord reigns. You could render it with that at the end. Here comes the king. It's a pronouncement, it's a royal pronouncement. You can almost hear, I can almost hear the trumpet sounding when I hear that line. The Lord reigns. It says that he comes in glory, that God comes arrayed in his full magnificence, okay? Robed in majesty, that's one phrase. And that he puts on strength as his belt, or if you prefer the old language, he girded himself with strength. Now the picture here is that God is not messing around. He's actually readying himself for battle. That's how intentional these words are. This is a military term. To talk about putting on or girding yourself with strength, that's a military term. So the idea is almost like picture someone suiting up and putting on armor, right? Strapping on their sword. He has put on glory and readied himself for battle. He has armed himself with strength, and he's more than equal to the task. What battle exactly? Well, it's a cosmic one. So this has messianic and apocalyptic overtones. You heard some of those echoed in Daniel and Revelation in our readings today. This is a battle against the world of flesh and the devil. Speaks of the world as being established. And what you need to picture here is that it is firm and secure dot, dot, dot because of his reign. It is secure because of his reign. So God not only created the world, which is a marvel in and of itself, he established it, but he also sustains the world, Okay. So he didn't create it, kind of wind it up, and then let it go, you know, uh, and then off on his merry way, deus absconditus. He didn't do that. Here's the picture. If God takes his hand off the cosmos, it falls into ruin. That's the picture of how actively God is involved in sustaining the cosmos. So let me give you an example. The fact that the earth doesn't tilt one degree off its axis in the wrong direction, which would be catastrophic for all life on the earth, is proof of God's power and his care. So our world is not only governed by the laws that God created, like gravity, but also it's sustained by his goodness. The idea is that the world, the cosmos, isn't just this inherently stable machine or system, like science might have us believe, without God's reign or rule. So God has his hand on it to sustain the world. Okay, That's verse 1. Verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. Well, this builds upon verse 1. Why is the world established, firm, and secure? Because of the kingship of God, the enduring kingship. If the king is solid, so goes the kingdom. The kingdom the world is secure because of the character and strength of a good king. Good king, good kingdom. Bad kings don't promulgate good kingdoms. That's just how it works. The rule of God here, is seen as preceding time. Did you hear that phrase in Daniel, the ancient of days? It's a poetic way of saying your throne, your rule is timeless. It's eternal. You're the always and you're the eternal king. It's beyond our measuring out and it's, it's beyond our conceiving. But what I want you to hear here is it's a picture of stability, okay? It's a picture of stability. Placed against the backdrop of the world and all its problems, rulers who fight for pole position and overthrow one another left and right even in the face of kingdoms that last hundreds of years like the Greeks and the Romans. That's still nothing compared to eternity. It's just a drop in the bucket. So kingdoms rise and fall okay, throughout the centuries but God reigns supreme throughout all times and places. So this offers us I think, in, in any day and age some needed perspective and some real context and these are a really good reminder that we're going to need as we head into verse 3 because things get tumultuous, things get chaotic here. So let me read verse 3 for you. Uh, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Okay, this is a picture of it is tumultuous, it is chaotic, it's a picture of opposition and of terror, which this, th- these images may be a little bit lost on us, but I'm going to try to build that out a little bit. The sea and the waves, which you hear that repetition, that building force, you can almost hear the waves like crashing against uh, the land. Uh, These speak to all that is counter to God's reign. Okay? The world, the flesh, the devil. And we all encounter all of these things. The forces of destruction and hostility, the rising floodwaters symbolize all that appear, keyword, to undermine the reign of the king. Okay? Does that make sense? Forces of nature. So powerful and out of our control, lethal storms, earthquakes, tornadoes, wildfires, destructive power. It can mean that. They can mean the rising and falling of nations and regimes, right? So present in our day and age when earthly rulers seem to have all the power and they appear to. It can also mean the spiritual forces of chaos. Listen, the sea terrified the ancients. Pagans had so many superstitions about the sea being the realm of demons and the dead, and this is where Baal and all these other capricious ancient Near Eastern gods live. That's the realm of the sea. That's their realm. Okay. And think of this imagery of this loud water pounding against the wave, pounding against the the shore and how deafening that can be and how powerful, powerful that is. The sea, the deep, the water imagery, all this stuff is intense and frightening and it's a symbol of chaos and death, okay? Waters were sometimes a place of judgment, biblically and in uh, uh, pagan thought as well. So it's a fearful place. Read through Job sometime and look at all those references to being overcome by the breakers or the deep or the waters, okay? This is, again, a frightening picture. Maybe not as much to us, but to the ancients it was. These churning, rising waters were the very defi- definition of chaos. But again, we're not just talking about nature. We're not just talking literally here. These are symbolic, okay? The rising waters, the surging sea, the endless waves, the tides that roll in, they seem to do this eternally. These are a picture of chaos and calamity, and let me underscore this, things outside our control, okay? Okay? things outside our control. So the point of verse 3 and all that imagery is destructive chaotic forces that would seek to undermine the kingdom of God, assail us in ever-increasing intensity. You feel that build? It's a picture of the uncertainties and travails of this life. Now, maybe some of you feel stuck in verse 3 in your life, right? You ever been in those seasons of life where you feel like, man, the waves just keep on coming, hit after hit after hit, well, verse four gives us some hope, okay? Let's go to verse four. Mightier, and listen to the repetition because it matches what we just heard. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Did you hear that? We match three for three. We've got rising, 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 and we've got mightier, mightier, mighty, okay? As the seas have lift, lift, lifted, as the floodwaters have ri- <laughs> risen. I guess that's right. Risen, risen, risen. It's a tongue twister. The Lord is mightier, mightier, mighty, okay? The seas rise. He mentions it three times, but they don't reach his throne. The waters never rise to threaten his rule. And that means what? Well, let me read you a quote from Kyle and Delitch. Uh, all the raging of the world, therefore, will not be able to hinder the progress of the kingdom of God and its final breaking through to the glory of victory. The sea with its mighty mass of waters, waves ceaselessly pressing against the solid land and foaming against the rocks is an emblem, the hostile fury of the waves. Verse four ends with saying the Lord on high is mighty. This is another way of telling us that God stands above the flood waters of calamity. Okay, God is above this. He reigns over them. Notice his throne is above the waters, not below them, which means being in, in danger of being overwhelmed by the deep and the depths. That, that's like burial death imagery, but, but above it, okay, showing his supremacy. There are other scriptures that speak of this. Let me read you Psalm 24, 1-2. You've heard this before probably. The earth is the Lord's, okay, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters God has always been Lord over the waters, okay? We can go into Genesis 1 to see this. Think of God's creative activity, God hovering over the surface of the deep, bringing order from chaos. By his command, order and beauty come about in Genesis 1, in those primeval, primordial beginnings. And as a little polemical side note, there was an old Canaanite myth that Baal, you know who Baal is, he's the storm god, He becomes king after he defeats Yom. Yom is the rebellious sea god, and they kind of go at it back and forth. So this is uh, the psalmist's way of sort of thumbing his nose at Baal and Yom, saying, you know what, Uh, Baal isn't the real king of the seas, but I know who is, okay? Who's the real lord over the seas, the water, the deep? It's not Baal. So it's alluding to an old pagan myth here and kind of christening it. So polemical, pretty clever, love this. Uh, the point in verse four, the waves rise and fall, often violently, right? But the tumult of the sea cannot reach his throne. It cannot disrupt his rule. Now, what is our call in that? What does that mean for us, if that is true? Because of his kingship, we are called out upon the waters, like Peter. Come on. As in that popular song you may have heard the last few year's Oceans, which is one of Eric's favorites. Um, called out on the water why why are we called out on the water to be fishers of men to be fishers of women to be fishers of people okay here's one quote Uh, the church dwells in the sea what the church dwells in the sea and the waves of tyranny ambition and malice beat furiously upon it think for a moment you're gonna have to use your imagination because if you look up here it's not going to help you much Uh, picture in an old cathedral okay If you look up at an old cathedral, the ceiling was meant to evoke the hull of a ship. So if you take a ship, flip it over, and look at the spines, almost the skeleton of the ship, it was intended to evoke the hull of a ship. Now, this is an allusion to the ark, okay? Salvation from the floodwaters, you bet. The church is the vehicle of salvation in a drowning world. Supposed to remind you of that? Yes, absolutely. Also to remind us that the church dwells in the sea okay? This sea, this world of chaos, guess what? That's our mission field. (laughs) That's that's our natural habitat, even though these waves beat against us. So because of his kingship, we are called out on the waters like Peter, okay? To walk on water, okay? And called out on the water. Why? Yes, to walk, but to be fishers of men and women, to be fishers of people, okay? It builds out verse 4 a little bit. Let's get to verse 5. Final verse, ending with a uh, decisive bang, uh, Your decrees are very trustworthy, holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. You know, honestly, this is like a reaffirmation of everything that we heard in verse one in a sense. You know what bookends are? It's a little bit like a bookend. There's verse one and there's verse five, and it's kind of like a bookend that reaffirms it. The world is established and firm. God's statutes are stand firm, there's that relationship again. Because of his reign, the world is firm and secure. So God's precepts, his statutes, his law are part and parcel of that reign. So his word never passes away and he upholds the world. Okay? And there's such a strong connection between the law of God and his creation. And I'd encourage you to reflect on this psalm, but also Psalm 19, to explore that connection more this week. It really, really shows the connection between the law of God and his creation, how this worked together. So God reigns over creation. Verse 5 shows us that he reigns over humanity. His reign isn't born of this world. It's of a different kind entirely. So we can have comfort in the midst of tyrants, persecution. We can take heart and hope. And for me this seems like a good word following on the heels of last week's message in Mark 13 about the destruction of the temple and the end times and our call to be a midwife to this groaning world. Okay. Okay. That, that is Psalm 93 in brief. Let's back up from it to about 30,000 feet. And I just have some questions for us. I want us to, to work our way through. W- one of the first things I think of is what kind of king is this? I mean, who, who are we dealing with here? I'm going to ask you some questions. Is this a king that you can count on, do you think? What do you think? Based off what we see here in 93. Can you count on this king? Yes. Okay. Uh, can he actually carry out his plans? What's the picture here? Can we? Yes. Yes. Sovereign? Fully capable? Yes. yes. Okay. Or is he like all crown but no kingdom? Big hat, no land syndrome? No. No. Mighty. The picture here is, is, is someone who is mighty, who is capable, who is unswerving, who is, uh, provides stability. It's a good picture. It's a good picture. But might suggests suggest that it's a little incomplete? Okay? It leaves me with some questions. Such as Can this king that we see here draw close? Can he come beside us? Can he get knee deep in the stuff of your and my life? Can we do that? Or will he remain aloof in his throne and just reign from afar? Relationship kind of delegated away. Will this king get his feet wet? Will this king dirty his hands? Will this king, I mean, can we know him or is the divide simply too great? Now, I'm asking questions which I have an answer for. <laughs> I keep saying that God is king, and not to put a too fine a point on it, but to be more specific, who are we talking about here? Which member of the Trinity? We're talking about Jesus. <laughs> we must read this psalm with King Jesus in mind. Who stills the storm? Who stills the storm? Jesus. Jesus. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey his command? That's an important Question. That's a big Old Testament echo. Is it Baal the storm God? Is it Yom? No. It's Jesus, the mighty King Supreme, who becomes low, who becomes small, and who becomes vulnerable. Leaving his rightful throne, which he did not have to do, he takes upon himself the worst that his kingdom can dish out upon him to reconcile us to him, to call us friends, To heal his kingdom, to welcome us into his family, to get his feet very wet in our stead. Let me bring this all together and I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read Colossians 1:16 to 20, because it just it for me it ties all this together. Jesus, the, the firstborn over all creation. So let me let me read that to you. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's our king. That's King Jesus. Now when is Jesus most often spoken of as king? Often it is around his second coming in the speaking of the end of days. Thus our readings in, in Daniel and Revelation. He brings judgment. He brings justice to the world in an ultimate sense. That's why Christ the King Sunday precedes Advent. We're preparing for the king to come, aren't we? In a sense, we're remembering his birth to remember that he comes again, the great king in glory, a good king who brings justice and peace to his kingdom. A king unafraid to get his hands dirty in the muck of our fallenness, and unafraid to get his feet wet in the storms that surround us. Let me conclude here. I'm going to read you some lyrics from a song called Show the Way. You might know David Wilcox, perhaps. Okay, Good songwriter. Worth worth buying his stuff. That's my plug, okay? Um, I'm going to read you some of the lyrics from Show the Way because this is a great reminder that in the midst of the world's storms, God is still in control. He's still king over it all, even though it might look otherwise, okay? So we'll end here. You say you see no hope. You say you see no reason that we should dream that the world would ever change. You're saying love is foolish to believe because there'll always be some crazy with an army or a knife to wake you from your daydream and put fear back in your life. Look, if someone wrote a play just to glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? He's almost in defeat. It's looking like the evil side will win so on the edge of every seat from the moment that the whole thing begins, and here's the chorus that goes obviously more than once in the song. It's love who makes the mortar, and it's love who stacked these stones, and it's love who made the stage here, although it might look like, look like we're alone. In this scene set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there's evil cast around us, but it's love that wrote the play. Read that last line again. There's evil cast around us, but it's love that wrote the play. There is a king that presides over this. Despite what we see sometimes, evil is around us, but love wrote the play. And that is our King of Kings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.